Well, Got it. Oh, what? Got it. Got it. Okay. Welcome to the coffee celebration. My guest today is Jennifer Hedrick. Can I say that? Okay, I just did. And she is part of the magical Miami um, years of 2002 to 2004. I have been interviewing many of our, our colleagues from back then. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to convey totally hard, big, huge, um, just how amazing that was. And so um, for our listeners to get to know you, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Whatever you're comfortable with, totally, you know, challenge by choice. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, I am excited that I was a part of the magical Miami of Ohio. It was my first professional job out of grad school. And I think we fell in love with each other. I do. I think <laughs> so we've remained connected for all of these years. So is it 20 over 20 years? 20. I think yeah. like 22 years yeah. and, or no, maybe it's 20 years. It's 20 years. So I do feel like we fell in love with each other <laughs> and that that's a love that still exists. Yeah. Um, I think it's all kind of in our bones and in our nervous system. Uh, you know, I've seen Paul Brown. I've seen Dan early. I've seen Emily. I've seen Kaylin. Vatab. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I've seen Michael. I mean, Michael and I worked together at Miami of Ohio. Um, you know, Micah, Michael held Sophia and Adeline as infants. Totally jealous. Yeah. So, oh uh, gosh. Um, you know, being able to connect with Catherine. Mm -hmm. always online and socials and, and Chris and everyone it's, you know, Victor, I saw Victor, you know, when I moved to Michigan, um, yeah. he, yeah. So I feel like it's absolutely magical. Um, in that time since Miami, like I know I've definitely grown per as a person, you know, and a lot, you know, we've all kind of grown, but that feeling and that emotion is still there. It still exists. So it's really magical. But yeah, I um, I wasn't supposed to work at Miami of Ohio. <laughs> so Ooh. to share a little bit about this. Tell me, tell me like your, because I don't know how you ended up there. Yeah, I wasn't, well, I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be there. So I did my undergraduate degree in Pennsylvania. So I'm originally from a small town in Pennsylvania. And I did my undergraduate degree in Pennsylvania and my uh, mentor all through undergrad who she passed away mm -hmm. just a few months before I graduated. So it was really hard. Mm -hmm. She did her graduate degree at Ohio University. So I applied to Ohio University only because she was there. So I was at Ohio University and and being there in grad school, I didn't know that there was a rival between Miami University of Ohio's graduate program and Ohio University's graduate program. I didn't know that. They don't like each other. <laughs> and so, like, Miami of Ohio was considered very um, affluent, very mm -hmm. prestigious. Yeah. Um, Ohio University was considered 
uh, more probably blue collar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one is in Athens, one is in Oxford. And so here's how I got landed at Miami. (laughs) Doug Little and and Kyle Doug Little and Kyle Carter did that that thing where they go Debbie Peterson had the staff go around and they came to OU to meet with the graduate program to talk to them about the first year advisor position. And everyone in my graduate class was like, we're going to give them no time. You know, they're conservative, very um, not open, not progressive. Like Ohio University was considered very open, very progressive, uh, very welcoming. Not to say that Miami wasn't, but Miami had was considered to be the university that was very conservative, uh, not as progressive. And so no one signed up to meet with Kyle and Doug. And I was like, that's awful. And I was like, they drove here. They mm-hmm. were spending the night. So I signed up. I was the only student of our graduate class. I guess there was 13 of us in our cohort. So I signed up because I felt bad. Yeah. Because that's all. I was like, Kyle and Doug, I was like, we don't know them. We don't know who they are. We don't know that they're not right. open and, and welcoming. So I signed up. And, and the faculty were like, that's very nice of you, Jennifer. That's like nice of you, you know, and so, and they know this. So Doug and Kyle know this. So the very next day I go in for the informal interview and we just talked. And of course, Doug and Kyle, like two amazing human beings. And I just felt like these are good people and they had a good program. And so I, I just talked to them. And then at the end of the conversation, they're like, would you consider applying? I was like, oh, well, sure. So <laughs> I had no intention of working at Miami of Ohio. And so I'm going to be very honest. So I applied for the job. I know I made it through. I definitely wasn't like in the top tier, like, like Paul Brown and Amy Minot were like top tier candidates. Um, I think people like Mitch Nasser enjoyed me, like Michael Votava. Like I did my on-campus interview and I think I was in the second, maybe there's kind of second tier, but I had no I was like, I'm not even going to go there. Like, I was like, I'm going to work in like New Hampshire or I'm going to work at like a really progressive university, <laughs> university, like looking at colleges that were considered open and progressive. And I remember it was like that first weekend at NASPA. And I, you know, I had interviewed before NASPA and I think people like Paul and Amy, Minot, they gave their offers to them before NASPA. Mm-hmm. It was like right after NASPA, they gave me my offer and I was like, I don't think I would accept it. And then I was like, well, this university is probably going to challenge me. Like, I was like, I could go to a place that's like-minded, that's open, that's progressive, or I could go to a university that maybe will challenge me and help me grow. Yeah. And when I accepted the job at Miami of Ohio, the faculty members were like, what are you doing? <laughs> the chair of our department called me in and was like, you're you don't want to work there. Like it's so conservative. It's so close. Like it's not as open. You're going to struggle while you're there. And I was like, maybe that's the place I'm supposed to be. And in our chair of our, his name is Bob Young. And he was like, yeah, that sounds great. But is that what you want your first experience to be? And so I was like, I think it is. 
Yeah. Because I felt both. So Kyle Carter and Doug both know this. And then I later told like Paul Brown and Randy this story. Mm -hmm. I literally interviewed because I felt bad that I felt like we didn't treat them well. Yeah. At Ohio University. And I was like, is this who we are? Like, we're going to not meet with them. Not And, and, and my colleagues, I mean, and I understood where the cohort was coming from and, you know, they were voicing, you know, this isn't a great place for students of color. Yeah. This yeah. isn't a great place for students who identify as LGBTQ. Like this is not the place that you want to be. And I was like, well, then maybe that's why we go there. Like yeah. if we are, yeah. so that's how I got to Miami. Because I think though our cohort for those two years, we were all like-minded. Yeah. I mean, we were all trying to find a way to um, make a difference and push the envelope. And absolutely. It wasn't like we we were seeing all privileged white people, although we did. Yeah, um, we did. We did see the Escalade up on the grass right near the hell. Yes, we did see that. Um, yeah. And parents being like, do you know who I am? No, I don't. No. no. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but like, yeah. Well, here's our general counsel's number. Please have fun. Um, Yeah. Oh, we were challenged that way. Totally. Because I don't think any of us came from that frame of reference where we're like, what? You're, you're, you're like, I don't even, you know, some days you were just like clueless. Like they're throwing around their attorney. They're asking me if I know who they are. There's money flowing nonstop. And I don't know. It was that kind of privilege that was, I think for me was challenging because I'd never seen that before. Yeah. And I think it, I mean, there was definitely very privileged students at Ohio university. There was very affluent students. Um, but it was definitely a students where it was a campus where students were encouraged to protest, use their voice, uh, mm-hmm. push back. Um, faculty members were very progressive. I mean, I took classes where faculty members, you know, I was sitting in a college. So Ohio University gave me these classes where we talked about white privileged, being white and being privileged. And what does that mean? And being straight and having that privilege. And what does it mean? And as somebody who grew up very poor, Mm -hmm. I was learning for the first time that even though I grew up with being poor, me being white never blocked anything for me. Right. So like maybe money blocked things for me, or I didn't have family influence or support, but I definitely always felt comfortable. You know, I always felt I could talk in a room Mm -hmm. where my opinion mattered. I could dress how I wanted. So I think we, you know, I was 23 and learning about privilege, but I also had an undergraduate experience where I remember as an RA and my undergrad and that's, so Mary Walters is my was my mentor. She came from OU. And as an RA, she was like, um, you, we, she, we had to read the book. Why are all the black, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria yeah, yeah. as an RA? And so like, I felt like it started in undergrad and it yeah. felt like it was a fit for me. So yeah. And then going to Miami of Ohio and being like, oh my gosh, like it just, you know, I didn't, you never wanted to make the students feel unwelcomed, but you wanted to challenge them, you know, what, yeah. you know, what does this mean culturally? And so, you know, I remember talking to the students that, you know, how um, art wasn't just classical music or art just wasn't playing the piano at your church. Right. And the students oh, wow. feeling very challenged by that. So, 
Mm-hmm. But it was great. I mean, and I, you know, Kaylin, <laughs> I talked to Kaylin every day. Mm-hmm. She was my RA and, you know, we are incredibly best friends. And you know, she wasn't like that at Miami. I mean, she yeah. was very open and anyway, so yeah. 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 Wow. So, okay. Walk us through um, when you left Miami, where did you go from, from that point forward? What was your next job? Yeah. Well, I went back to grad school. So I was in grad school for a few years and then kind of uh, left higher education for a little bit. Um, I worked in, so I went to grad school, finished all my coursework. And then I, after I finished my coursework, I took a position and I went and I worked in workforce development. I was an employment counselor and I worked a lot with veterans and I started working with individuals who would be eligible for the federal workforce investment act. And yeah. so below poverty line, you know, maybe 60% AMI, um, wow. family members who lost their jobs due to the trade act right. and tons of veterans because veterans were a priority of service and people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. So it was like this gamut. So I went into workforce development and I was an employment counselor and that kind of opened my eyes to wanting to work back in higher education, but wanting to work in an open access university. And so I did research and the University of Alaska Anchorage was open enrollment, open admissions, incredibly diverse, racially, ethnically, culturally, and then also like tons of returning adult students, a lot of veterans. It's a military campus. It felt like real people. using, using higher education as a career, the trades were huge, Uh, skilled trades was really important. And so I spent three years realizing the value of skilled trade, and why that's so important. And it kind of took me away from your traditional, you know, four year post secondary degree. And I, you know, that's why I went to Alaska to have that. And then also because it's beautiful. (laughs) And, you know, Michael was there. And so coming back with Michael Votava was a gift. It, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Then, yeah. Was it a dissertation like on women veterans or? It was. Yeah. 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 So I'm all but dissertation. I was, I wrote the first three chapters of my, I came back. I left Alaska for a year as a sabbatical and I was back at Ohio university. And that's when I found out I was pregnant with Sophia. So I spent the first like five months in Ohio writing the first three chapters and then I defended the first three chapters and went back to Alaska with every intention because that was going to be the population. I was going to do a phenomenological case study on women veterans, which why would I do a qualitative dissertation? It's fine. It's a lot of work. Um, and no, then I'm not backing with you. I'm just, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, it's quantitative. While you're pregnant. Which is great. Yeah, yeah, no job. Like I left my job yeah. at UAA. And so when I was back at OU, I was a faculty in residence. I was only making, you know, a stipend. I was pregnant. I had no health insurance. And so I talked with my, my chair is Pete Mather and Pete Mather is magical. And he is an incredible human being who I've remained connected with. Absolutely love Pete Mather. We just talked even like a year ago on the phone. Um, and he was like, Jennifer, he's like, lots of women are pregnant and get their PhDs. Like you don't have to leave. But in my mind, I was so convinced that I need to go get a job and have health insurance. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking like, if I went back to Alaska, I focused on that population. I had a job, it would be better. Um, but I should have, 
I remember I was like pregnant, you know, with Sophia and I would be like at the university and being like, she's going to be with me on this journey. Like I'll get back eventually. Um, but I haven't, she's 10. (laughs) (laughs) And it's fine because, you know, I was at UAA. I had lots of amazing experiences. I love Sophia. Ah, That's something I really miss about our education is Sophia came to class with me when I taught sometimes, like as an adjunct faculty member, there were times when I was doing academic advising appointments and Sophia was in like a pack and play. And so that type of, you know, I felt so much support to be a mom and to work. And (laughs) so, you know, we're, so now, you know, Sophia's 10 and this year I brought her into the government building and everyone absolutely wrapped around her. Like I was like, you know, Sophia's camp ends at 12. I work till five. Can I go get her and bring her back? And everyone's like, absolutely. And so in our administrative leadership office, you know, Sophia sat beside me for five hours, about three times this summer and people welcomed her. They said hello. And we joked around that she was the first government. She was the youngest government intern. And I appreciate that. But, you know, in higher education, I really felt like I could be a single parent and, and, you know, bringing them onto campus into events. So I definitely miss, miss that. Um, I feel like I have a very welcoming environment, but I, you know, it's not the same as higher education. Yeah. 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 How long were you in Alaska altogether? Almost eight years. Eight years with Michael Otaba. Dude, we're all jealous. Don't rub it in. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, Kaylin came to visit. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, Emily came to visit and Paul Brown came to visit. And it was magical. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Where did you take them? Oh my gosh. So I think, uh, so Emily came and we stayed, uh, you know, she was with me and we went to like Portage Glacier in the winter. (laughs) No, she came at the end of fall. Kaylin came in in the winter and, and Paul came in the summer. I would say Paul, um, we traveled down to Homer, Alaska, which is the most beautiful place on earth. That's, that's where my heart lives. And so, um, you know, Paul, well, Paul did an internship. So he'd been at UA before yeah. and a little bit yeah. familiar. Um, but I did take Emily and Kaylin to go see um, glaciers. <laughs> that was really fun. But, you know, Kaylin had Nora. And so it was yeah. and Nora and it was really, Kaylin had, Kaylin had just been done, doing a ton of traveling. So we did rest. And then uh-huh. Emily came and she just completely wrapped around and, it was beautiful. And, 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 um, Emily is my only friend other than Michael from Miami who met Micah. So Johnson from a previous relationship and, and Micah loved Emily just latched onto her. Right. Yes. So Emily brought books and we went, uh, cause I wasn't with John and I was like, Hey, can I, you know, I'd really like people to meet, you know, Micah. And so John was like, sure. And we went to John's house and um Emily brought books. I mean, Micah didn't want her to go. Didn't want her to leave. Sat I on within like three pages of the book. Micah's like on Emily's his lap. And so um, but Micah very much loved Michael Votapa. Um, we did, I mean, I like Michael Votapa and I took the kids everywhere together. Oh my gosh, like I have more memories with Michael Votava as like someone parenting alongside me mm-hmm. um, than anyone else. And so I miss him. I wish he was here. I can't believe I've been in Michigan for five years. 
Yeah, I can't believe it. I wish Michael was here, but hopefully he'll retire from UAA yes. soon and come yeah. down to lower 48. That would be lovely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you moved to Michigan. Was it for a job? Was it for family? Um, because you're you're really selling Alaska. Like that's one of my bucket list things is to go to Alaska. And Michigan, I just, I mean, how does that compete? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, I never had any intention of leaving Alaska. I loved UAA. I absolutely loved, I had lots of people there that I loved who stepped in. Um, there I met my best friend, Kristen Bogue. Um, I met my other good friend, Laura Zamborski. Um, these are people who stepped in with me. You know, I was able to work a second job in the evenings as an adjunct faculty member because my friend Laura would come in the evenings and take care of Sophia. Yeah. And so, you know, it was just like me as a mom was a part of the fabric. And, and there was never, when I was in Alaska, it was never like, let's go do something AK without kids. It was always yeah. like, what can we do with kids? What can we do I, for like bringing Jen in and, and, try, and Michael took holidays. <laughs> Michael took holidays with me and the kids. And I was like, that's adorable. And so, you know, I, um, so the girl, so I have two daughters, I have Adeline and Sophia and they have a half brother, Micah and Micah's environment was not stable when he wasn't with me. And so, um, we, I left Michigan to put Micah in a safe space. So Micah's, I, and I don't want to talk, I'm not going to share those details because it's Micah's story, but Micah was never in a safe environment. And so I reached out to John's family and said, look, we have two options. Either I go through foster care to get Micah or we come to Michigan. And so I finally opened up and told John's family everything that was happening. And John's stepdad, Ralph, was like, just come. And so I did. And so I left everything I took three kids, three suitcases and moved to Michigan to start my life over because I wanted Micah to have an environment that was safe and stable, emotionally, physically, and mentally safe. And so, and that I also felt like that coming here that I thought that um, there would be a wrapping around of support and that didn't really happen. I realized that all the behaviors that were impacting Micah were enabled. We came here and those behaviors were enabled by family. And that was really tough. Cause I was like, Oh man, I guess I would say, I felt like I stepped right into the lion's den, yeah. um, but it was pretty difficult for a year. I um, had, I was in an environment that was not welcoming, was not safe for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took me a while to kind of get out, but that's where I worked with a lot of amazing people in Michigan. I took a job and I met uh, Andrea Copeland and Alana Hyatt, two amazing, incredible women. Uh, Sherelle, um, she's married now, and I was going to say her, her her maiden name, but just there was this group of women that I met with, and they made me feel like I was strong but I didn't have to go through it alone and that they would support me the whole way. So as I kind of went through here and finally decided to go through a court system, 
I mean, these are the women that showed up to my court hearings and, and were with me when I submitted and, and just were there the whole time. So I think it's really, um, gosh, I'm so lucky that everywhere along my life, I've met people who lean in, who care about me as a mom and, you know, help me see that you can just keep going forward. So, yeah. But I mean, the only thing that Michigan's got on Alaska is the beautiful water. <laughs> so the Pacific Ocean is beautiful, but it's not really accessible, right? Unless you're into like commercial fishing. Um, so Adeline is really growing up with this kind of beach experience, like mm -hmm. sand and warm and like beautiful water. Um, you know, Sophia still, so like when people ask Sophia where she's from, she's Alaska, like that's her identity. She wants to go back. So we'll get there. I love how you take your kids everywhere and you do something with them all the time. And it's always a learning experience. And I can literally in your posts, which besides are absolutely stunning, you could definitely suck it as a photographer. Oh my gosh, they're gorgeous. Um, there's so much love in those pictures. And the foundation that your women posse that you just talked about, your little posse there helped you create that strong foundation, that bravery, that love, you see them in those photos. And I know I look forward to those every day so that I can not only see your girls growing up because, oh my gosh, I wish I had, I wish I had known myself the way your Sophia knows herself. If I could have had that haircut when I was 10, I would have, but my mother, Helene would have hated it right. and would have never allowed it. And the fact that you're holding space for her, for who your children are showing you who they are, you're changing a generation. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh, Wendy Sue. Oh my gosh. Generation. It's true. Like I, I literally like, she's so fabulous and brave and she has you as her example. And I also have you as my example. So I have you as my example and oh my God. all the things that you're giving to others and all that you, the space that you hold for everyone is just filled with love and support. And I am so thankful that there is a you and all that you're doing for your three boys. Like we're single moms. We're single moms. We're solo parenting. That's right. That's and right. So we're holding that space and you're holding that space for your family. So they will grow up knowing that their mom was not afraid to believe in herself, to do it the way that will work for all of you. And there's no apologies there. The space that you hold, Wendy, is unapologetic. Not going to say you're sorry for it. Not a single decision. Because you know, in the end, your sons are thriving because you made a decision to stand in your space, to hold it on your own and to keep moving forward. So you've inspired me with, we're constantly inspiring each other. It's right? like oh, the things uh -huh. that we're doing in the celebration. Yeah. Okay. We're going to pivot so I can try okay. my face. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Right. We're both crying. Crying. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tell me about this woman you posted yesterday on social media. She Thank lives you. in Alaska. Tell me her name because I want to be her new best friend. Okay. That's what I, it's out there now. Yeah. I think so. I stumbled across um, Chris Hill through socials, right? So it takes a really long time to get your algorithm and <laughs> Instagram to a place that feels like, I don't know. I first think I got onto socials and I was like, this is not a space for me. Like, this is not a space where I see um, women that I admire and <laughs> inspire to, but it took me like a good three to six months of like getting to a place. But I love the outdoors. I've always been an outdoor person and I struggle because I don't feel like there's representation in the outdoors. Right. Yep. So as much as I love watching and learning and being a part and being engaging people of color are not reflected in mainstream narratives of the outdoors. Yep. Um, LGBT is not represented in the mainstream outdoors. And so I do, I've always, and it, and it was something that kind of hit me a little bit later in life where I was like, here's a space that I love, but I only ever see people who are Caucasian and maybe um, the couples that are together, it's always a man and a woman or a family. And so I kind of, started a journey, maybe it was definitely during the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, where I was like, I know that there's people of color in these spaces. And I, I know people. And it's interesting because, you know, fishing is such a cultural thing for different cultures and communities. Yeah. And yeah. so I saw that in Alaska and I, it made the connection. Like when I was in Alaska, it's incredibly diverse because fishing and fishing culture and sea life is globally diverse, right? Yeah. Many, many call. And so I was like, okay, like I am going to start kind of intentionally going into these spaces. And I was trying to find different avenues. And so I came, <laughs> so I came across Chris through um, her social media. Like she came into my algorithm. I was like, yeah. Who's this woman I became very excited. And I ended up reaching out to her. Like, I feel like she's a celebrity. And so Chris Hill, and then I found out that she's a lot, she's an environmental lobbyist. And I was like, oh my God, like she's, she is who I would want to be, right? Like if I could grow up and be anyone, it's Chris Hill. She lives in Haynes, Alaska. She's an environmental lobbyist fighting for the environment in Alaska. She's an angler, a fisherman, the outdoors. What's an angler? What's an angler? Oh, <laughs> Uh, it's well, it's definitely someone who fishes and so it's a, it's another term for like, uh, somebody who like, that's a lifestyle and a culture. Um, and then there's different types of anglers, right? So there's people who like catch and release and there's people that do fly fishing. So it's definitely a word in, in that, in the community. And, you know, she sees herself as somebody, it's not just fishing. It's about everything that goes into it. It's a sphere and it's an identity. And so I, and I guess, you know, maybe there's also a part where like fisherman has uh, a pronoun. <laughs> so, but yeah. And so I reached out to her and I let her know that like I lived in Alaska for a time and she was really supportive. And then um, after George Floyd was murdered and there was this huge movement with Black Lives Matter, which Black Lives Matter has been a movement for a really long time. 
she was posting things on social and she, she kind of shared that she felt like she stepped out of her angler environmentalist role and started talking about like, I'm still, you know, an African-American woman. And like, I was, um, I think people kind of got quiet, right? Cause maybe in, in this environment of outdoors and maybe there are some spaces that haven't held a narrative or held a space for people of color. Um, I, I felt like she was kind of like, you know, if you like me, you have to like all of me, right? Like people like, oh, when someone tries to say like, stay in your lane. Right. And I just started messaging with her to support her. And that like, absolutely you, you know, posting, you're stepping into very political movements that are really important and kind of encouraging that. And then from Chris Hill, the other person I got connected to was Arshay Cooper. And again, like I reached out to him on social media and he responded back. And Arshay Cooper has a beautiful story um, where he put together in the 90s, a group of African-American men who ended up rowing. And so again, like breaking those boundaries. And I found out that his crew team was in Grand Rapids for a competition in the 90s. And so it was just, and I got his book and I read his book and I reached out to him. So Arshay Cooper, I also follow on social media because he's an African-American man. And he wrote a beautiful story and, and, and it's called a beautiful story. It's actually on Peacock. So if anyone, you know, is interested, it's a, it's, it's the beautiful story, but they came back later in life in their forties and they rode together again. And so that's where the story of these men and they talked about their journey and, and what they were up against. And it's like, you're in the inner city of Chicago and you're an African-American man and you're in the nineties and you want to row. Yeah, there's lots of brother. And so it was just like breaking barriers and they came back in there and the film, I'm missing the name. It's an MB. It's a former NBA player helps um, produce the film, but it's a beautiful story. Um, He's gotten recognized for it, for, for the films. And it's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful book. It's actually called a beautiful story. So those are two people I'd want to meet. (laughs) I I get real fangirl when I kind of message them on socials and then they will respond back to me. <laughs> I get like, oh my gosh, fangirl. So anyways. I see a huge crush on her since you introduced me to her yeah. platform. I mean, um, that whole time with George Floyd was so scary. Um, I remember my then 14 year old telling me that because we're watching this. I mean, we don't have a TV in our house, so it's on the computer or on their devices. And he's like, mommy, I'm not scared of African-Americans. I'm scared for them. And it's like, that's what he took from that. And I'm like, can we clone you? Can we just clone you everywhere? Everywhere. Everywhere. Because it was so scary to watch. And my kids just didn't understand why, like why it was like that. Um, And you're so spot on when you talk about representation. Um, I think it opens doors for people who want to see themselves in those roles, but just have no access, you know, I don't know. Yeah. We talked about it. Like I, um, I very much there. So there was a, there's a movement in the outdoor space and it's called adaptive outdoors also for people with disabilities. Maybe it's a mobility issue. And so that was something that as I've, been opening up 
kind of my journey to say like, wow, I've always loved the outdoors, but I don't see anyone. I don't see the diversity that needs to be there. And then kind of learning about, um, so kayaking can be incredibly adaptive, uh, especially for someone who may have maybe in a wheelchair, but if it's not like an electric wheelchair, if it's a manual wheelchair, and so they have use of their upper body. And so I kayak a lot and I'm in a space where um, that a lot, so I'm in a county that recognizes accessibility is important for the outdoors. And um, there's lots of kayaks, kayak launches that are accessible, right? And we got to get out there and we have to put that. And so the county I live in, so I do work for one county, but I live in another county. It's a neighboring county and um, their whole campaign is everyone outdoors. And it excites me. And so they talk about that and they talk about representation. They talk about cultural representation and racial representation and ability representation. And so a few weeks ago, I spent time with the members of that county and we just, we had a bus trip that was like three, two and a half, three hours. And once everyone kind of got into a space, we all started talking about why it's so important for the outdoors to be adaptive and what does that mean and having those conversations. And so you know, parks and recreational spaces are great, but if they're not, and so that's where, oh my gosh, like <laughs> Dr. Radishuri from Miami of Ohio is how I got connected to him because he's working on a grant through the U.S. Uh, federal agencies on mapping the outdoor like train spaces with wheelchairs, either manual or electric. So people understand the surface levels yeah. And, and getting more people outdoors. So we, yeah. you know, so I called the, the superintendent of our parks department. I was like, Hey, Dan, like, can we map? I was like, okay. I was like, we say we have an accessible trail. How do we know it's accessible? He's like, well, somebody went outside and said it was accessible if it was paved. I was like, ah, like, we were like right. And, and so, you know, but working with people who understand, like, that's just surface level and you're not diving in deep and, and talking to people that when, I called our parks superintendent. He didn't get offend, offended, right? I was like, he was like, this mapping is not what we would want it to be. And so we talked about getting that getting that mapping done better. So they knew like mapping for accessibility for people and different trails. And so I think when you talk to people who, oh, wow, there's an issue with my area. Yeah. It's not inclusive or it's not like representative, then how do I make it better is, you know, just really important. So I can't even believe that they're responsive that way. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like um, barriers are just put up because either money is an issue or they don't want to focus on it. They don't want to follow through, but it's really refreshing to hear that the counties, not only that you live in, but and work in are responsive to something like this. I mean, yeah. like people just being open, like, let's make it better. Yeah. Let's get everybody outside. Let's have yeah. representation. So, yeah, I have seen you've posted like skiing, right? Mm-hmm. And they so, do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, tell me about that. Yeah. So our, so in Kent County, we have a bit of a, a medical, there's a huge medical community, but we have, um, two things in Kent County, they're gems. So I work for Kent County transparent. We have Mary Freebed hospital and rehabilitation center, and we have the Mary Freebed YMCA. And so 
those, so the only, um, the Mary Freebed YMCA is universally designed, incredibly accessible. And so when I moved to Michigan, it was the YMCA that was where I lived. And I remember walking into that YMCA for the first time and being like, this was completely designed because, you know, there's this idea of like, oh, well, you know, here's a design, but then this is for people who may be in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. versus it is literally designed universally that whether somebody's in a wheelchair or not, it doesn't matter anyone can come in. So like, you don't have to think about it, right? Like it was designed from that. It is one of the only spaces in the United States that is a rehabilitation, that is a YMCA that's completely accessible and has universal design for all types of mobility. And so when you walk into that facility, it's all universal design, zero barriers. And then inside of that facility, it's all basically ramps everywhere. Um, and it's like the, the ramping is prominent, the elevators in the back and the stairs are like off to the side, but it's, it's, so the prominent space is the accessibility of it. And they have, you know, their best like rugby wheelchair, rugby and basketball tournaments and events. And then, um, Mary Freebed rehabilitation center basically partners up and does a community wide event, um, for skiing and it's for children who would need, um, who have, you know, barriers with accessibility. And so it's all put together. It's, it's this space and, you know, um, the Mary Freebad Rehabilitation Hospital is, you know, it's one of those things where like, there's lots of foundations and philanthropy that pours into these places as well as the state. And so you come in, come into the space where, if all the money is poured into one center, it makes one center incredibly amazing, but it kind of doesn't always, you know, how can everyone get there? How can everyone, you know, get to the space? And, and that's always a challenge. But I remember when I was in grad school, that's how they talked about Wright State University. Right. That was, you know, remember it's like, you know, everyone kind of has accessibility, but Wright State is where like everyone poured their money in. Yeah. And, and making that accessible. And I remember some part of our grad program, we had to tour right state. Like they were like as a cohort and like write mm-hmm. about accessibility and why is that important for a university? So it's, it's definitely come full circle. And that's, you know, something that I value. I've kind of opened up uh, a friendship with people at Mary free, free bed and mm-hmm. um, just, you know, them understanding, you know, there are people in other spaces who support you and advocate for you and, so it's really important, but they're amazing facilities. That does sound amazing. I remember my dad became a paraplegic in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And I remember we we would find ourselves like stuck in the middle of the street because they weren't the lower sidewalks. Yeah. And he couldn't pop a wheelie. And so we had to like backtrack and like find a way to get to the other side of the street. And I am just so encouraged to hear that um, the face of mobility and adaptive sports or adaptive centers um, has really developed into something that it is now. I mean, how hard is it to design it that way? Because mobile people, you know, like us who who can walk and stand and run and all that, we can do any, I mean, we could do, we could adhere to whatever's necessary. Um, but I think that's a model that I really hope that is, um, 
I guess everyone kind of takes on as they build more because everything's building. I'm like, why are you building? Just refurnish something, but whatever, that's another issue. But um, do you know what I mean? I just really hope that it it's something that can be um, kind of absorbed from other places and states. And I don't know, I love your counties. Every time you post something, I'm like, it's so open, it's full of representation. And I know things cost money, but you're doing it the right way so that it's sustainable for a long-term goal being inclusive of all people's abilities. Does that sound? Yeah, I think, you know, but it's interesting because there's there's always a but. And this area is very philanthropic and resource rich. And there's people in the community who are incredibly affluent, who are pouring money into it, right? So like, okay. I, I mean, as, as much as we're excited about these things, there are people and then you know, you have to think about like, you know, when I moved here, I didn't understand. I wasn't aware of all that goes into philanthropic and, and the fundraising that goes on uh, mm-hmm. and that communities do that. But there's also, you know, you have to kind of peel back layers and look at, um, I don't know, are there decisions going on behind first things? I mean, you want to believe that everything is altruistic and and for the good, but you know, I, you know, those are things I won't, I won't share, but I mean, I think it's always, no matter what, right, we can all pause and say, well, what could I do, right? Like, I don't have a million dollars, but could, how can I contribute? How can I make you know, the world and and make people feel included and accessible. So like, I, you know, I don't, you know, I, I think these things are great, but then I also think that sometimes maybe when there's other people who are more affluent or something, maybe we're like, oh, well, they can take care of, or they have the money, or there's like a, a false narrative that you have to be incredibly resource rich. Right. Um, you know, you can do little things every day to, yeah. you know, make someone's life, life better and, and thinking about, you know, just kind of challenging people on their notion of what's inclusive and what's not. Um, you know, Sophia and Adeline go to a school that was built. It's not very old. It might be eight years old, but it was built universally designed. So Sophia and Adeline's classmates have um, like, and, and, and there's youth in the area who come to the school and there's lots of education, support, and resources. And then the building is universally designed. So, you know, there might be 35 students that don't live in the school district, but they come from a bus and uh-huh. they each have an aid that is specific for them. And it was kind of a decision that was made that, you know, if they're if you're gonna to the school, you know, if you're gonna get a new building, you're gonna make it universally designed. And so Sophia and Adeline have, you know, classmates who have cerebral palsy um, and, 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 and also on the spectrum, like it's a school that also has resources for lots of different abilities and, and, and accessibility. And it looks at it from lots of different levels. So, you know, Sophia's had classmates who are on um, the integration and they're on the uh, autism spectrum disorder. And it's just, you know, that's, so to Sophia and Adeline, that's just what the world is to a point, but the school is not racially diverse at all, you know? And so I, I, I 
lament that when we were in Alaska, Sophia grew up in an incredibly diverse environment. We're in another environment that predominantly it is Caucasian students and Caucasian teachers. Um, and so, you know, we talk about these things and what does that mean? And how do we, how do we then ourselves enter into spaces and make sure that we're always learning and engaging and having relationships and friendships and, and asking ourselves those really hard questions. Yeah. So, yeah, when she's over, it's going to be like, Oh my God, like I'm literally, I don't know the stuff that we talk. I mean, we talk, yeah, Sophia has had, had to, you know, had, you know, conversations with me at the age of nine and 10 that I didn't think we were going to have until she was older, but there we are. So, you know, but he, you know, she's, very curious about the world, I guess is what I would say, just like your kids. <laughs> That's rem remarkable. I, I think that um, as you were talking, I'm like, um, the, the one phrase that came into my head is like, we just can't have it all, which is unfortunate because wouldn't it be remarkable to have a diverse school um, that is representative of, of what the world really looks like? Um, but I guess it's baby steps and they're starting with ability. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, you're right. There's always going to be something that we have to think about and kind of reflect on. And so, you know, we've had, uh, I, I don't know, I guess I've been honest with Sophia that, you know, she knows that there are people who will not like someone simply because of the color of their skin. And, and why would that be? And, yeah. you know, I was like, well, that, that might be something how that's something that they need to work on. Right. Like it's not, you know, it's, it's something for them to learn and, and, and to figure out, but it's for us to challenge them then mm -hmm. and to step in that space and, and kind of, you know, make a connection to somebody who thinks differently than us and, try to get like a bridge going between you because as much as you want to isolate yourself from people that don't think like you if you do you know if you only stay in your own echo chamber and if, you know if you only have relationships with people who think like you or believe in you then you know and you're not building relationships with people who think differently right you know you're not challenging yourself you're not challenging them right. um so, and that's, it's, so we have in Kent County, we have 19 elected officials. Um, we're going up to 21. And, you know, for the last few years, uh, Republicans have been flipped, or sorry, Democrats have been flipping seats. And where it ended was, you know, we ended with, uh, we had nine Democrats and 10 Republicans. So there's still a 10 majority and everything goes with the majority, but they really have to work together because, you know, yeah. you want to think about the legislation that we're passing. Um, but there's definitely some Republicans who I absolutely admire. Mm -hmm. And I think that they've done a great job of putting the county first before party. So it's like yeah. county first, what benefits the county. And they'll put, you know, I might've been elected as this, but I represent all 650,000 people. Um, and then there's also been some Democrats who have frustrated me because they're so focused on making like a social media bite, <laughs> you know, like a sound bite, like they're, and so I've learned that like, you know, it's working with all sides and there've been times that I have said like, wow, like I'm, 
growing a lot as a person because every day I have to look at people who represent the full spectrum of political ideology. And I don't like doing that all the time. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to be with people who sound like me, but I know that's not good. So, you know, but balance, it's, it's about mm-hmm. balance. That's right. It is. Yeah. So looking back, you know, from 20, oh, two, well, 2002 right. till now, are you happy with the direction your life has gone? Yes, but I miss Alaska. <laughs> oh man. Uh yes, absolutely. I um I would say I'm happy with the direction my life has gone because I've had to start over a few times and you know, you can start over when you're 40, a whole new career and you can you know, I bought my house I was 45 before I bought a house. I never thought, you know, generationally grew up incredibly poor, um, very, you know, um, had no resources. Um, I've been on my own since I was 18, uh, never received any help from family. Um, and that's okay. Like that's, that's my journey and for me to work through and, and, and balance and heal. And I think that that's where probably part of my parenting comes from is I don't, want to be the parents that I had growing up. And, yeah. you know, I'll, you know, being open about that is that's my own journey, but I think, um, I'm happy with, I'm incredibly happy because there's so many things that make like birds make me happy and sun, you know, being out in the sun makes me happy and hiking makes me happy. And laughing makes me happy and friends and baking and coloring and, you know, doing everything with Sophia and Adeline. There's so many things that make me really happy Um, but I, you know, I hope that, you know, I hope that I get back to Alaska. I would love to stay where I'm at, you know, raise my daughters, you know, we're going to have kind of a a four season experience, but I do hope to retire back to Alaska. And I have a dream of paneling, uh, paddling the inside, inside passage and, and really hopefully getting to a place where my, I can really blossom as a kayaker mm-hmm. um and and meet people who are really diverse and 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 representative and and kind of build a community there um but i hope to retire in alaska um so i don't know when i want to retire like right because i started my career over the age of 40 but let's say maybe i'm 70 years old and you know i get to move back to alaska and and live there would be a dream. I miss it. It's home. Um, Homer, Alaska is where I want to end up. Um, but I'm willing to stay here. I'm willing to stay in this space. I'm willing to ground myself in and, and build a life for Sophia and Adeline and myself that is here and is good and, and learn and grow. But I, I miss Alaska. Yeah. What advice would you give someone starting over? Um, Oh my gosh. And this is purely selfish. It's for me. Okay. <laughs> All right, right, right. Okay, okay, right. Well, there is that really there's that really beautiful quote that we've kind of shared with each other and it's the wound is not my fault, but the healing is my responsibility. Yeah. I've learned that you can only heal if you're honest. 
about yourself. And so the best advice I could give someone is if you're facing change, you need to change and you need to start over. The best thing is it's you that probably needs to change, right? You can't move. You can't take a new job. You, If it's you that needs to change, it doesn't matter what the new job is. It doesn't matter where you live or the family or the new relationship. If you yourself aren't changing, those things won't do anything. So if you are your own problem, which me, <laughs> that means you can fix it. Yeah. Because I have absolute control. So I've gotten to the place where healing for me meant coming to terms with it is me who is making my own bad decisions or not keeping boundaries or allowing things to come into my life that I shouldn't have because I was trying to be a people pleaser and always say yes to people and just like suffer and grind it out. Well, then I kind of created all that. Like it was a compounding interest, but realizing that if I am the problem (laughs) because of my lack of boundaries and the trauma that you grew up with, that means I can fix it. So you have to believe in yourself when you go forward in that change, because if you're facing up against anything and, and to face a new challenge, you probably have to change yourself. Well, guess what? You can do that because you have the power to change yourself, to make a different decision. Um, And then also tell people (laughs) who you love that you love them and, and allow those people to come in along the way. And you don't have to do it alone. You know, like it's going to be tough and hard, but you don't have to exhaust people with your whole story. Maybe they only hear a part of it, but you know, like, I just think that when I think of all of the friends and the friendships that are meaningful to me, they do really know who I am, the good and the bad. And, you know, they'll be with you along that journey. It doesn't have to be everything. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's the smallest things. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's good advice. <laughs> it's actually fabulous advice. Exactly what I needed to hear. Yeah, you yeah. can absolutely do it. Right. But the, and here's the thing that we always struggle with Wendy is the wound is not our fault at all. The wound is not our fault, but the healing is our responsibility. Yeah. And if you get stuck in the place of, well, that person wounded me by this thing that they did, guess what? They're not coming back around to fix it. Yeah. They don't think it's a problem, right? Yeah. And they don't think it's a problem. So realizing that you have to let go. I mean, I... Anger is a very healthy emotion and we need it, right? To stand up for things and to be an advocate and to not allow system levels of racism and oppression and and sexism and all of these things. Like anger is a really healthy emotion. But if you hold on to the anger that someone who hurt you, I mean, you're going to stay stuck. But I think when I realized that like, yes, this person hurt me deeply on so many levels, they knew that they did it, but the only person that's going to help heal me in, in, in healing that wound is myself. You can kind of let go and, and you don't have to battle every single person. Sometimes walking away is really healthy, right? Like sometimes someone does hurt you, but you don't have to battle it out with them. You know, you don't have to get to them to a place where they say that they're sorry. Sometimes 
ending the relationship is simply enough. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for spending this time with me, Jen. Oh I feel like I said nothing. I just babbled. No, I but, felt like, you know, how you were talking about this with a friend, you know, like anybody in those 20 years that we were at Miami, we just connect. Like I could see anybody on Zoom. You know, I got to see Sarah Troy. Okay. <laughs> I know. Delish, right? Deanna. Totally. Like oh all of these yummy, successful, dynamic, inspirational people that we worked with. And it was like no time went by. And we yeah. keep talking about having a reunion in Oxford. We need yeah, to. We did. We talked about it a few summers ago. Right. And I think we do. I think we need to maybe this summer. Okay. Hold a space. Right. And it doesn't need to be. And this is where it's like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. We just like find a weekend and this is the weekend and those who can come and, you know, and, and finding that time to go back to Oxford together with all of us. Cause you know, Debbie's still there. Michelle's really close. I think she's just up in Dayton okay. and so finding that time. But I do feel like we, I, do, I feel like we all fell in love with each other. Yeah. A falling in love. And it was a very personal, intimate love that, you know, but some people are like, oh my gosh, like I'm looking for the love of my life. Sometimes you fall in love with people and their relationships. And that's like the love of your life that you have. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely still in love with every single person from Miami of Ohio. Um, and I've definitely, I've been in love a lot my whole life and I've fallen in love with so many people. And I feel like I have so many friends that when we hang up the phone before we go, it's, I love you. Yeah. And um, that to me is probably <laughs> um, the greatest love story of all is falling yeah. in love with all the people around you. That's yeah. what we did. <laughs> exactly what we did. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So this is our promise, Wendy Sue, that we will find a date in the summer. Okay. I'll travel as those of us who can, we'll go to Oxford and we'll bring our kids. Yes. And we won't have to plan anything. It's just a weekend. Okay. And spend that time and see each other, which I need to get to see. I need to bring Sophie and Adeline just to see you. And oh my God. I need to let me come to you because <laughs> I need, I need to get out of this space. Okay. 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 You are welcome to come whenever you would like. Okay. Um, I, um, Michigan is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, live two miles from Lake Michigan, the beach. Um, so I just hop in my car and it's really gorgeous. And even in the winter, but my home is a space for you. And I would love for you to come. You can come with your delicious kids or not. <laughs> um, and if you come, all I'm going to do is get to love on you. So that'll be great. <laughs> and I will love on you too. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Well, I, I love you. I love you. I adore you. No, I adore you. And I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to see you either. Okay. Bye, super friend. I love you. Bye. I love Have you. Okay.